Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message by special guest, Bobby Connor. Uh, already, we're excited to have Bobby Connor. Bobby's been a prophet in our house for about 20 years, and uh, God has used him mightily in Connie and I's life, and well as this congregation, and many things that we are still seeing generations that... Uh, that have experienced these times and what an impact it's made. And it's literally lasted for generations. And we can't wait for what God's going to be sharing with you this morning. Uh, our theme for this whole weekend has been only believe. Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ, the Word of God. So we want you to tune your heart and to hear what God has to say to you this morning. And then... Put it into practice and see what God would do. Would you help me give a welcome to Bobby Connor, please? Good. Thank you. God bless you, Darren. God bless you. Well, good morning. I am happy to be here. I mean that. We love Pastor Daryl and Connie, and we've known them 20-something years. Good gracious. Uh, we watch the kids grow up and the kids' kids grow up. That's, that's something. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. Aren't you, aren't you happy to be a believer in Christ? Wow, he snatched us up out of the horrible pit, set our feet upon a solid rock. That's one of my favorite verses out of the Bible. It says, I waited patiently on the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a solid rock. He established my goings. He put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust the Lord. Every one of us, whether you believe it or not, we're in a horrible pit. We were headed the wrong way, and Christ intervened. Aren't you glad? It says in Colossians 1.13, he translates us out of the kingdom of darkness and puts us into the kingdom of light and love. Isn't that amazing? See, I came out to go in. Yeah, we're out of death and darkness and into life and liberty. That's a good exchange, isn't it? It's the best deal in town. It's the best deal in town. You give him your sins, he gives you his glory. Wow, that's pretty good, isn't it? Whom the sun sets free is what? I dare you to look that up. It's a courtroom term. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And the word indeed means irrevocable, unrescindable. So you, when you set free, you're totally free. Aren't you glad? Yeah. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I like that. So when the devil says, well, you know, you've got some flaws, all oh, they're under the blood of Jesus. They're as if they never happened. He says, I'll put your sins as far as the east is from the west, never to remember them again. Some say, well, Bobby, you've, I've got some very dark things. Isaiah 1, 18 says, come on now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Aren't you glad? I like that. He is such a good, good God. Well, we're delighted to be here. I hope you'll visit the book table. My wife said, uh, tell them about the books. I said, I will. I'll tell them about the books, and then most time I'll forget to. But here's one called Living in the Light. The Lord said, I want you to write a unique book. I said, what is your definition of unique? He said, people are living a fast-paced life. They're not going to read 259 pages of a book sitting down. He said, but you write a chapter like the one chapter is a whole book, but make it step into the next chapter. So that's what we did with this one, Living in the Light. I love the fact that we're children of light. God, the first words out of the mouth of God was what? Let there be light. He still wants us to be children of light. In Him there's no darkness at all. The Bible said if we say that we're in Him and we're stumbling around in darkness, something's wrong. Psalms 36 verse 9 says, With Him is the fountain of life, and in His light we see light. Don't you want light? 
Psalms 119, Psalms 119, verse 130 says, The entrance of His Word gives light. It gives us a grasp and a comprehension of the will and the ways of God. I'm telling you guys, the light of God's Word will direct our path if we'll let Him do it. And so I'm telling you, I hope you'll get the book, Living in the Light. Psalms, what, Psalms 18, verse 28 says, He will light my lamp, that means my spirit, and it'll flood my whole life with light. I want us to embrace that prayer Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. I prayed that the eyes of your heart. You believe you can see further with these than you can these? You can. You can see further with the eyes of your heart than you can with your natural eyes. Yeah, let me show it to you. It says, Moses saw the sufferings of Christ. Good Lord. Chronologically, that's a long vision, isn't it? Moses saw the sufferings of Christ and said, that is more valuable than all the opulence of Egypt. Wow, wonder, I said, God, tell me about that. When did Moses see the sufferings of Christ? And here's what it was. Remember when Moses said, oh, God, show me your glory. And he said, there is a place by me in the cleft of the rock. He said, I'll put you there, and I'll cover your face. And he saw what? He saw the back. I'll tell you what he saw. He saw the smitten, beaten, bloody back of Jesus Christ. By his stripes we are healed. That's where he saw the sufferings of Christ and deemed that's the best thing in the world. Wow, isn't that something? Moses saw the sufferings of Christ and said that's better than all the riches of Egypt. Wow. Okay. So, anyway, I hope you'll get the book, Living in Light. You'll read this if I give it to you, won't you? I will. Good. God bless you. God bless you. Listen, I'm glad. I'm, I'm going to say something about these books. Here's a book. Uh, the Lord told me, said, don't you write a book about Well, he told me, he said, go up and down the land and say, somebody's going to write a book about legacy and lineage line and help uh, uh, turn a generation. So everywhere I'd go, I'd announce it, and nobody picked it up, nobody picked it up, nobody picked it up. Finally, my wife, Carolyn, said, Bobby, I believe God's talking to you about writing that book. So I said, God, do you want me to write that book? He said, I do. It came like a waterfall. Whoosh! And so I got, I, I started, boy, it was just pouring down, and, so I, and I was really having a good time with it. And I'm a busy person. I go a couple of places a week. Uh, it, it's the craziest schedule you've ever seen. And so sometimes I'll do... Two conferences in one week at different cities by airplane. Craziest thing you've ever seen. Anyway, so I got really busy and I pushed Legacy and Lineage Line to the back burner. I'm driving to the airport one day and the Lord said to me, Oh, Bobby, how's your Legacy and Lineage Line book going? And I said, <clears throat> I said I've got busy and I've pushed it to the back burner. And he said to me in an unhappy tone, I intend for you to cancel some appointments, get in a secluded place, and finish Legacy and Lineage Line. So I did that. I canceled some things, got into a secluded place, and finished the first edition of Legacy and Lineage Line. Put it out. It sold out just like that. And so then the Lord said, I want you to revise a second edition. And this is the second edition. He said, I want you to add to it and amplify it concerning breaking ancestral curses and, and teach the people of God how to declare divine direction into the lives of their descendants. Every one of us are involved with legacy and lineage line. Legacy is what you leave behind. Lineage line is who you leave behind. And it's inseparable. How you live your life will forge the future of your descendants. The Bible says the parents eat bitter fruit and the children's teeth get set on edge. And here's a great verse, Isaiah 44, 3 and 4. Isaiah 44, 3 and 4 says, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, floods upon dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and they will spring up like willows by a riverbank. If you're hungry and thirsty and desperate for God, your children flourish. 
So I hope that you'll get this book, Legacy and Lineage Line, The Power to Transform a Generation. In this book, we talk to you about how to speak uh, uh, blessings over your family and how to break off ancestral curses. Do you believe there's ancestral curses, lineage line curses? What does the doctor ask you sometimes if you go to the doctor? Does this do what? Run in your family. And I'm telling you, you and I need to understand uh, how to break off lineage line curses and, so, and then how to speak the blessings of God. So legacy and lineage line. Who will read this if I give it to them? Yeah, you will? Okay, I'll give it to you then. And, all right. So, and I've got a couple of more, and then I'll, 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 quick, I'll do quick with this. I love this one. This is Master's Plan, Divine Design. I want you to understand something. You're not a biological burp. Now, biological is a study of life. What's a burp? Something that slips out you think you have to be apologetic about. You're not that. There is no such thing in the universe as an unwanted pregnancy. God is the author of every speck of life. And I'm telling you, He has divine design on you. I'm telling you, there's 7.6 billion people alive on the planet, give or take a few. And there's not a single one like you. You're divinely unique in the most sincere meaning of the term. Not a single human being on earth is like you. You are divinely unique. God made only one of you. There'll never be another you. I, it's amazing, isn't it? And so God has a divine design for you. And you're unique and there's something you can do for God that no other human being can do. And so I wrote this book out of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God before ordained that we'd conduct ourselves in them. So I studied it. One translation says, you're God's stroke of genius to display His God deeds. One translation says, you're the best God could do to display who He is. I like that, don't you? I like that especially about your stroke of genius. And it's all from that, we're His workmanship. And when he wrote that, he, it's a word that means the final stroke of a master artist. So I want you to learn more about who you are and how sufficient you are through Christ. Isn't that something? Okay. Yeah. Some people have this poor concept of themselves. Uh, listen, you know, there's a big lie. I go all over the body of Christ, and there's a big lie just kind of hovering over the heads of the people of God. And here it is. Here's a big lie. God only uses superstars. If you're not some big-name guy, as some kind of a, that, that's the furthest thing from the Word of God. God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. 1 Corinthians one twenty six says, Brethren, that's us, you see your calling. Not very many noble, high-born are called. God calls a common, everyday person to do the extraordinary thing, so when it's pulled off, He gets the glory. If you want to see it, you can look at, at, look at it in the life of the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul wrote the biggest part of the New Testament, started most of the New Testament churches. But when God got ready to commission this great apostle, he called an unknown disciple. A disciple you'd never heard a word about until then. Ananias. Isn't that amazing? Wow. See, that's how God does it. Called a guy out of obscurity that had been, been building an intimacy with God to commission one of his greatest apostles. See, God uses Ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Aren't you glad? In this book, you'll find out about that. Master's plan, divine design. There's something God wants you to do no other human being will ever be able to accomplish. And you say, well, Bobby, I feel so weak and so inadequate. We're going to deal with that after a while. You're not weak and you're not inadequate. It is God in you, Christ in you, that assures that you're capable of doing anything he asks you to do. He would be unjust to give us a task without a touch, to give us an assignment without an anointing. I, I love the Bible. You ought to read it in every translation you can find. Now, uh, if, I don't much like uh, the King James Version of Psalms 92.10. 
Psalms 92.10, King James Version says, My horn is, ex-, he said, I'm anointed with oil. My horn is exalted like the horn of a unicorn. That doesn't do much for me. But I like it where it says, My stately grace you've enhanced like that of a wild ox. I, I can work with that. I used to ride bulls. Can you believe that? <laughs> Good God. That's crazy. Yeah, I used to ride bulls. That was, listen, I, I wouldn't let my boys get on them when they was growing up, but... You know, you get in there and you get all muscled down there. You know, there's some idiot there at the gate with a big old tree. And they go, you ready? He go, yeah. You ain't ready. <laughs> Listen, you everything but ready. I got knocked out once and, and I heard Conway Twitty singing. Yeah. The, the bull threw me backwards. Hit me, and got knocked out once. My mother ran out in the bull ring. She's down in the dirt with me going, he's dead. <laughs> Listen, you know, bull riders are supposed to be tough. Get up, spit out the rest of the teeth, get back on another. I was glad to see Mama, to be honest. <laughs> Listen, yeah. Well, anyway, I don't know where that came from. But anyway, I want you to get the book and realize God would not give you an assignment without an anointing. He will anoint you to do what he calls you to do. He will equip you to do it. And you can do it through the power of God. No matter, here's what Jesus said. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable till you realize God won't lie. And it's John 14, 12. He starts it out like this. Verily, verily, I say unto you. What in the world? Did he have a stuttering problem? Why did he go very, verily, verily? What does the word verily, verily mean? It's another courtroom term. What, have you ever been a witness in a courtroom in America? What's the first thing you have to do before you take the stand? You have to take an oath. That's what Jesus did in John fourteen twelve. Verily, verily is an oath word. Here's what it means. Most solemnly, most solemnly, what I say to you is truth and trustworthy. And he said it twice. Why? Because what he's fixing to say to us is unbelievable. Here's what he says. These works that I do. But it says, he that believes upon me in the works that I do, he shall do also. And these works shall he do and greater. We're to do the works of Jesus and greater. Wow. You know what Jesus told me once? He said, you tell my people I'm not a politician seeking to be elected. I say what I mean and mean what I say. He doesn't spew out rhetoric. He says, you can carry what he says to the bank. So anyway, will you read this book if I give it to you? Good. Well, I'm sure you're good. Anyway, then we have the Shepherd's Rod book. For 23 years on the Day of Atonement, Jesus visits with me, shares some of the things that's going to happen. We write a book called the Shepherd's Rod. It is astonishing. Uh, you can find some of the statements that we've made in the Shepherd's Rod for 23 years and Google back to the news media and they'll say the very same words that, that was written in this book. It's, it's crazy. Uh, well, wonderful crazy. There's weird crazy and there's wonderful crazy. <laughs> That means you can't figure it out. I've been preaching 48 years, five times a week for 48 years. Guess what I figured out? I figured out if you can figure it out, it ain't God. If you can wrap your mind around and go, yes, I see that. No, naturally you can't see a thing. No matter how, how simple it is, the simplest phrase of God is so profound we can't understand it naturally. You know what God told me? He said, Bobby, one of the most profound things you can do is maintain simplicity. Everything God did, he dialed down for us. Yeah. Here's what Jesus said about it. Except you become as a little child, you can't see or enter the kingdom. I suspect we're going to have to digress in order to advance, don't you think? You, he said, except you become as a little child, you can't see or enter the kingdom. Wow. Here's Paul. Paul could have wowed us with intellectualism, but he says, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in a demonstration of God's power, so that your faith would not stand in the intellectual preface of a man, but in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2. 
1 through 5. I'm telling you guys, we need to see a demonstration of God's power. So I hope you'll get the shepherd's rod. We tell some of the things that God shares with us, and this is where I got to go into the courts of heaven. And the whole theme of the one for uh, 2017 is praise. Praise is the pathway that leads to uh, real liberation. I'm telling you, we need to learn the power of praise. Paul and Silas was what? In prison at midnight? What in the world is midnight in the Bible? Midnight is the furthest time from sundown, and the furthest time from sunup is called the darkest hour of the night. Now, what was Paul and Silas doing at the darkest hour of night? Praying and singing praises unto God. Whoa! In a Philippian jail, really a dungeon, a sewer drain dungeon. Oh, man. If, if that was some people I know, they're in stocks, they've been beat up. Yeah, if you'd kept your mouth shut, we'd be in the Holiday Inn. Yeah, but, yeah, that wasn't them, though, was it? Instead of rapping and grumbling, they were what? Singing praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Then it's unbelievable. It says, and God sent an earthquake, and all the bands were broken, and all the gates of the doors were opened. And then, remember, the jailer sees all that, and he's going to kill himself. He puts his little dicara sword right under his rib, about to kill himself. And Paul sees through the dust and says, hold it. Do yourself no harm. We're all here. You run down to the jail, knock all the doors open, they'll run like rats. wonder what kept all those prisoners there. I think there's something magnetic about a saint's praise during hard times. There's something people want to be around when they hear something they had never heard before. Uh, they'd never been a praise meeting held in that jail. See what I'm talking about? And it was so magnetic, those people, the prisoners didn't even, we're all here, and the Bible means it. They're all there. Not a single prisoner escaped. Well, anyway, you'll read this, won't you? Good. God bless you. Everybody okay? I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about the body of Christ, that's us, has experienced a wardrobe malfunction. That's what the Lord told me. He said, I want you to announce the body of Christ has experienced a wardrobe malfunction. Don't Google it now. But uh, wardrobe malfunction means too much flesh being shown. And the Bible said, the body of Christ has experienced a wardrobe malfunction. And I said, well, Lord, uh, I'm, I'm not really sure where we're headed with this, but I'll follow you wherever you carry me. And he said, I want you to start teaching the body of Christ what the best dressed Christian is wearing. Have you, ever, have you ever watched maybe the award shows on TV, the red carpet, where there's some actor or actress, and uh, the actress will come out in some wonderful gown-looking thing, shiny and dazzling, and someone with a microphone will kind of float up to her and say, what do they say? Who you wearing? Not what you wearing. Who you wearing? Well, I want to say to you, the Holy Ghost of God is saying to each one of us, who you wearing? Who you wearing today? And I'm going to show it to you in the Bible. It's one of the most mind-boggling verses I've ever found in the Bible. Who you wearing? Now watch it. Take your Bible. You got your Bible? Yes. Let's go to, if you will, to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Uh, it, it starts out, it's a mess, man. Judges, is, uh, it's a real mess. You have to read the last chapter of the last verse in the book of Judges to find out why they were in such a mess. It says, at that time, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. 
That's what it says, the last verse in the last chapter of the last book of Judges. But here we go. We're in Judges chapter 6, verse 1 right now. It says, But the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. you believe there's consequences for our disobedience? Say yes. Yes, there's consequences for how we live. You know what God told me the other day? He said, You tell my people I'm tired of being blamed for what the devil did. Wow. See, there's consequences that come upon us when we disobey God. Let's, let me read that again. Verse 1, Judges 6. But the, but the Israelites, the people of God, did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them to the hands of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites, the Israelites, made themselves dens in, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. For whenever Israel had sown their seed, the Midianites and Amalekites, uh, the Midianites means raiders, the Amalekites means contentious and brawling. But anyway, now that's, that's who's running over the people of God now because the people of God turned away from the, the things of God. Verse 4, they would encamp against them and destroy the crops as far as Gaza and leave no nourishment for the Israelites, not for their oxen or the sheep or the donkey. For they came up with their cattle and their tents and they were as thick like locusts for the multitude of them. Both they and their camels would not, could not be counted. So they wasted the land as they entered into it. And Israel was greatly improvised because of the Midianites. And Israel cried to the Lord. And so they're crying to the Lord. And the prophet comes and says, God did this, this, and this and for you. And anyway, uh, you're going to be introduced to a, a guy called Gideon. And uh, he's in a wine vat sifting wheat. That's already like a cartoon character. Nobody in their right mind would get in a wine vat to sift, to sift wheat. You sift wheat out on a mountainside where the wind can catch the shaft, the chaff and blow it away. But he's down in this wine vat and he's sifting just a little bit of wheat so that he knows that the, if, if he does it out in the open, the raiders and the robbers are going to come and steal everything he's got. And he's down there just trying to work out enough to survive on. Wow. And he has a visitor. And here's what it looks Look at verse 12. It says, And the angel, capital A, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of fearless courage. Whoo! That's Gideon down in the wine vat. Don't you know it scared the spit out of Gideon? There he is. He's already afraid. And he's down there in that wine vat. And then God. Anytime you find an Old Testament angel of the Lord with a capital A, it means pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. It's a visitation from the Lord Jesus. Before he came to the earth, he came to the earth as the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord says to him, Hello, victorious warrior. And Gideon, he said, No, 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 sir, not me. And he begins this, this little whiny thing. Well, I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. Have you studied the word Manasseh? Manasseh is a Hebrew word that means that one that causes you to forget and relent. That's not a very good name, is it? I don't want to be one that can't remember what I'm so, you know. The one that causes you to relent and forget, Manasseh. And then he said, I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. And he said, my family is the smallest family in the tribe of Manasseh. And besides that, I'm the weakest one in my father's family. Is that a poor concept of who you are? The people of God have got to shake themselves. We've got to get rid of stinking thinking. The Bible says as a person thinks, that's how they're going to live. How do we, how do we purge our stinking thinking? We get into the Word of God. And let the Word of God teach us who we really are. Did you know there's plans and, poly and procedures in line that can accelerate the things of God in your life? That can bring you from here to here real quick. Here, here's one of them. 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 
2 Corinthians 3.18 says, As we behold Him with an unveiled face, we're changed from glory unto glory. Wow! There's something we can do that accelerates the process of getting from here to here. As we behold Him, the risen, ruling Redeemer, with unveiled faces. Guess what the biggest veil is? See, now I can see you, but I can't see you very distinctly. There's a veil between us. My, thing, my hands are like a veil. I, what's the veil over the church keeping us from seeing the risen Redeemer in His glory? It's going to shock you. The greatest veil keeping us from seeing Jesus like He really is, is tradition. It's the only thing I've ever found in the Bible more powerful than the Bible. Teaching for commandments, the traditions of men, and making the Word of God of none effect. Wow. We're going to have to make sure we're not standing on tradition and neglecting the Word of God. Wow. I've, I've heard leaders say, I know the Bible says it, but you're about to hear a tradition. I've had people say, well, <clears throat> I know the Bible, too, but our denomination doesn't believe it that way. Wow. I'm telling you, this is not a Baptist Bible, a Methodist Bible, Lutheran Bible, Catholic Bible. It's ours. It's the Word of God. We can't tear that apart. It's all or none, isn't it? I've read the Bible. It says, all Scripture. I'm screaming. <laughs> all Scripture is given by the, the Pumata of God. The number one question I get asked around the whole earth is, how'd you memorize the Bible? I'll tell you how I memorized it. I said it until all of my fingers wore the print off the page. I got stacks of Bibles where I wore holes in the paper. I, I read, and let me, while we're talking about this, millennials hate what I'm about to say, but get over it. You can't memorize the Bible electronically. I don't care. You're not geared for it. You can't do it. I love the fact that you can type in a verse and it'll show you everywhere. You know, I love the fact that you can use your computer and your tablet and all that to study it. But get you a paperback Bible. And get you one you run your finger across. And you run your finger across. And when God speaks to you, get you out a pen, circle it and draw a line and go, yeah. That, then you'll remember it. I'll guarantee you this. You can read it on an iPad, read it on a computer screen, and when you slap the thing, you can't tell me five minutes later what you read. Some, it won't stick with you. Now, use it to study, but get you a Bible. Okay? Well, Bobby, you know, man, I, hmm. I'm just trying to help you to grow. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Wow. Get the word in you. So, Gideon. There he is. He don't believe he's who God says he is. He doesn't believe he's a mighty man of valor. But I want to show you this. The whole theme is the body of Christ has suffered a wardrobe malfunction. I want to, this, this, I'll just cut out all the other stuff and get right here too. <laughs> Judges chapter 6 verse 34. Okay. It's un, I'm reading it out of, this is why I love the amplified classic version of the Bible. I'll, I'll just read it to you right here. Verse 34 says, But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with himself. Wow. Who you wearing? Who you wearing? But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with himself and took possession of him, and he blew a trumpet, and the clan of Abenezer gathered to him. The Spirit of God clothed Gideon with himself. Wow. Wow. Again, who are you wearing? Who do people see when they see you? The Spirit of God clothed Gideon with himself. You say, oh, Bobby. Bobby, 
I wish that would happen to me. Well, it ain't. In our time, we're to clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus. Flip your Bible over there to Romans 13, verse 14. Romans 13, verse 14 says, But clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll read it to you. We quote verses sometimes. People don't even think they're in the Bible, but they're here. Listen to this. Uh, Romans 13, verse 14. We read uh, quite a bit out of Romans there. It's pretty neat. Okay, let's find it here. Hang on. Okay. Romans 13. Let me just start, if you don't mind. We'll start with verse 11. Romans 13, verse 11. Besides this, you know what a critical hour this is, how that is high time now for you to wake up out of your sleep, rouse to reality, for salvation, final deliverance is nearer to us now than when we first believed, adhered to, trusted in, relied upon Christ the Messiah. The night is far gone. The day is almost here. Let us then drop fling away from us the works and the deeds of darkness and put on the full armor of light. Let us live and conduct ourselves honorably and becomingly as in the open light of day, not in reveling and carousing and drunkenness, nor in immorality and debauchery and sensuality and lasciviousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Verse 14, but clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ the Messiah and make no provision for indulging the flesh, but put a stop to thinking about the evil cravings of your physical nature to gratify its desires and its lust. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, how would we do that? First of all, we'd obey Ruth. Ruth, Ruth chapter 3, verse 3. Some of the best advice you'll ever get in your life is found in the book of Ruth. The Lord sent me for nine months going up and down the nations teaching the book of Ruth. I'll vow to you under God, the book of Ruth is a prophetic message to the end time church. Without one single doubt about it, the book of Ruth, and and the book of Ruth is right after the book of Judges. (laughs) It's the next book. So here's what happens in, in the book of Ruth. I love it. Well, it starts out dark and dangerous. It says there was a great famine in the land of Bethlehem of Judah. And a man named Imelech took his his family. He had a boy named Malcon and a boy named Chilion and a wife named Naoma. And they took off down to Moab. My God, nobody in their right mind would move their family to Moab. Where'd the Moabites come from? Anybody remember? Oh, I do. A one-night drunken sexual orgy between Lot and his oldest daughter. What? Yes, that's what happened. Lot's oldest daughter got her daddy drunk, went in the cave, had sex with her daddy. Next morning, she wakes up and the seed's in her belly. Nine months later, she pushes the seed out, and when it hits the floor, it's a baby boy, and she goes, Moab. Moab means from his father. Nobody in their right mind would want to live in Moab. Bethlehem of Judea. Bethlehem means house of bread. Judah means place of praise. So there's a famine in that land. So Elimelech takes his family, Alma, Malcon, Chilion, and moves them down to Moab. Wow. Yeah. Moab's not a good place to be. Anyway, it says pretty soon uh, the two boys marry some girls, and one of them's named Ruth. One of them was named Ophrah. Ophrah, not Oprah. Ophrah. And that's a Hebrew word that means one with a long neck. Have you seen those animals in Africa that stand up high looking? That's the word for Ophrah. Looking, always looking for a place to run. 
And you'll find out she's in hell while I'm talking to you this morning, Oprah. Not Oprah, Oprah. <laughs> because she ran away from Naomi, ran away from Naomi's God. But Ruth, what did Ruth say? Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to forsake falling after you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you, you live, I'll live. Your family will be my family. Your God will be my God. Ruth is in the lineage line of Jesus Christ. Good gracious. But anyway, Naomi in the book of Ruth is a type of Holy Spirit. Ruth in the book of Ruth is a type of the church. And Naomi, after the boys died, now I wonder why they died prematurely. Have you studied the word, the Hebrew word Malcolm and Chilion? One is sickness and the other is weakness and pining. Wow, names mean something. So those boys died prematurely. So we got three widows now. The old man died, Elimelech. Elimelech. I've run into thousands of Elimelechs. Elimelech is a Hebrew word that means Almighty God is my God. But it wasn't, was it? As soon as difficulty came, he ran down to Moab. Instead of getting on his face before God, crying out for God's intervention. Carried his family to a debauchery place. Wow. Do you understand? I don't know how in the world. Where in the world would a girl get an idea to get her daddy drunk and go to bed with him? Then I'll tell you where it happened. You want to know? Remember when the Sodomites came? When Lot had, was in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? And some angels came? And the angels came to Lot's house, and Lot invited them into his house. And pretty soon there's a knock on the door, a rapping on the door, and Lot cracks the door open, and it's a whole city full of sodomites. And what are they saying? They're saying to Lot, send out those men that we may have intercourse with them. Wow. Wow. And here's what Lot says to these sodomites. Oh, brethren. Wow. Can you already see a relationship? Oh, brethren, do not so wickedly. I have two virgin daughters. Take them and do whatever you want. I would suggest there's where the barrier fell in those girls' lives, don't you? Somewhere something had to crumble to give them an idea to get their daddy drunk and have, wow. Mm. that's, That's how it happened. So anyway, here's what happens. Naomi hears that the famine is over in Bethlehem of Judea, and she starts back. She starts back with Ruth and Ophrah. And then she says, now, girls, they're coming alongside, like little lambs coming. And Naomi turns around and says to the girls, now, girls, let's get this straight. If you think I'm going to go off, find me a husband, raise two other boys, and give them to you for as husbands, I'm too old for that. That's basically what she says. I'm too far gone for that. And so, guess what happened? That's when Ophir goes, Bye, Mom. See you later. But Ruth stuck with her. And when they get back to Bethlehem of Judah, remember that? It says, in those days, uh, foreigners, strangers, and they got to Israel, the Israelite farmers would have to leave a corner of their field so these strangers could glean from it and pick up some produce. And that's where Ruth has been, gleaning in the corner of the field. Whether you believe it or not, that's where the church has been all of my lifetime, living in the land of leftovers, just barely surviving off of previous anointings, living in the land of leftovers. There she is, Ruth, the church, living in the land of leftovers. But there's a guy in the book of Ruth named Boaz. 
Boaz, his name means the swift, sure, steadfast one. He rides up to the harvest field, and he's the owner of the harvest field, and he says to his servants, which would be angels, who's that gal over there in the corner? And they say, that's the Naomi's stepdaughter-in-law. They back, they're back from Moab. And here's what he says. Get her out of the corner of the field and bring her to the center of the field and lay down for her handfuls of purpose. So the church is going to be brought out of obscurity to prominence. And God's going to lay before us great handfuls of purpose. But anyway... Verse 3 is where I'm trying to get to about how to get on, how to get dressed in Jesus. Naomi is on a mission now to get Ruth intimate with Boaz. So Ruth chapter 3 is some of the best advice you'll ever get. We better read it. Okay. Yes, Bobby, please do. Okay. I'll get there. Let me find it just a moment. Okay. Here we go. Ruth chapter 3 says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek rest or a home for you that you may prosper? Now is not Boaz with whom maidens you were our relatives? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. This is how you dress yourself in Jesus. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, What? Wash! Wash and anoint yourself, therefore. Say this with me. Purity. If we're going to dress ourselves in Jesus, we've got to have clean hands and a pure heart. Psalms 24, 3 and 4, there's a question posed. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Hands talk about action. Heart talks about attitude. And you can't get to God with corrupt attitude and corrupt lifestyle. I'm telling you, Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't listen to me. Wow. But here, here's the advice. Wash yourself. Anoint yourself. Therefore, and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor. Do not make yourself known to the man till he's finished eating and drinking. And I love her response. She said, Mama, all you've instructed me to do, I'll be obedient. She didn't go, well, listen, old gal, you don't know what you're talking about. I'll do this my way. But says she washed herself. Purity. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, is it 8, 9 or 9, 8, one of those. It says, make sure your head is always filled with oil and your garments are always white. Purity. Purity is not optional. Pursue peace and holiness, for without holiness, no individual will see the Lord. Holiness is absolutely a necessity. You say, now Bobby, wait a minute. We're in a time of grace. Yes. That is why it's so important to live a clean life. The Bible said if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of sin, there remains no more sacrifice for that sin, but a looking forward to fiery indignation that shall devour the adversary. I don't want to trot under my feet the blood of the covenant and do despite to the spirit of grace. We need to want to live pure. Psalms 51 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a right spirit. He said, Well, Bobby, listen, let's get off of that because I already know my heart. Whoa! Jeremiah 17.9 says, That's impossible. Jeremiah 17.9 says, Our hearts are so dark, so deep, so crooked, we cannot know them. You go, Well, who can? Verse 10. Verse 10, Jeremiah 17.10 said, I, the Lord, 
Try the heart. So we should do that Psalms, what, 139, verse 23? Search me, O God, and try me. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in a way that's eternal and everlasting. Give him permission to search your heart. Turn on the light. Sometimes things can be there you don't even know this there. Wow. It can be in your heart and you not even know it. I want him to reveal things, don't you? So I don't want my communication channel cut off with him. That word Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. The word regard is a strange word. Matter of fact, it's the same word for what a woman's body does to a fetus. Uh, what does a woman's body do to a fetus? Nurtures, protects, gestates, gives a place to be born. Wow, if I'm doing that with sin. Is there any other verses in the Bible concerning sin and uh, pregnancy? Oh, and lust, when it has conceived and bringeth forth full-blown uh, full birth, it births death. Wow. So we need to get rid of that, don't we? Yeah. So search me, O God. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me away ways everlasting. He'll do it if you ask him. You believe it? Yeah. Oh, man. I prayed a prayer once. If I'd have known where it was going, I'd have never prayed it. Oh, I was pastoring a church and everything was going wonderful. I'm sitting at a polished desk in a chair and I kind of cricked my neck like that. And I said, Lord, if there's anything wrong in my life, show it to me. Emphasis on if. Oh, Lord. When I said that, it was like he pushed the rewind button on the, 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 the CD. Went all the way back to the very first public uh, meeting I did in Atlanta, Texas. The next morning, that, the next morning, the Saturday paper in Atlanta with headlines this big in pictures of me says, Come see this man. He's like Billy Graham and Billy Sunday merged into one. That's what the headlines of the paper said. When I read it that morning, I thought to myself, I thought I blushed and thought, how silly. Guess what I really said? I really said, well, it's about time they see something. And God said, that stench of pride and arrogance, and I don't like it. So I thought, I better get out of this chair. I got out of the chair and put my face in the chair, and I'm telling you, time he got through with me, I'm under the desk squalling and bawling. You know the difference between squalling and weeping? Mucus. That's the difference. I'm under the desk. I'm stuck to the floor, boy. I'm telling you, the Lord meant it when he says, uh, his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. But anyway, Ruth and Naomi, they get it together. And they, she said, I'm going to do all that you've asked me to do. I'm going to go down and be humble. And I'm going to receive what I, I, I find there at the threshing floor. Seems like a lot of times we hear a lot about throne room. God's not trying to drive us to the throne room right now, but the threshing floor. He's got to win away from us all the things, the chaff, and get us down to the heart of the matter. But anyway, he does want us in the throne room, but we need the chaff driven away. Anyway. So make sure that you wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on your best raiment and get down. Put on Jesus. Over and over, there are several verses. Here's some of them. When I got notes, you better look out. That's a lot of notes, isn't it? It's Ecclesiastes 9, 8. It said make sure your head has oil on it, anointing, and make sure your raiments are white. And then here, here's one. Uh, I like it in Deuteronomy. It says when Israel walked through the wilderness those 40 years, it says their clothes never wore out, neither did their feet their shoes durability there's some clothing company now talks about how durable their clothes are listen when god dresses them up 
Can you imagine that? Their clothes never wore out for 40 years. Neither did their shoes wear off their feet. Isn't that something? That's Deuteronomy 8, verse 4, and Deuteronomy 29, verse 5. Nehemiah 9, 20 and 21 talks about how durable their journey clothes were. Here it is, Romans 13, 14. We just read that one. Colossians 3, 12. Again, it says, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus. And then it talks about having attitudes adjustment. And here's one of the attitude adjustments you and I need to follow. Uh, matter of fact, uh, I'm, I'm writing a book now on the little phrase, one another. You should Google it sometimes, not now. But you get on Bible Hub or Gateway or something and type in the little phrase, one another. And find out how many times it pops up in the New Testament. Love one another, pray for one another, provoke one another, encourage one another, forgive one another. Wait a minute, whoa. What? You don't know what they did to me, some of you may say. That's true. I don't know what people did to you, but whatever they did to us can't be what we did to God. And the book of Ephesians says, be kind, tenderhearted, one to another, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. That's the pattern. No matter what they've done. We're to forgive them. Wow. Wow. You say, I don't know if I can do that. Probably not. That's why you need to say, Holy Spirit, give me the grace to humble myself. and Say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. Wow. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive people. It's easier said than done, isn't it? Wow. One of the hardest things to do is to apologize. Just say, I didn't do that right. Would you please forgive me? Wow. We shun people, don't we? Well, we need to get more honest than we are. That's why I like old people and kids. They're not political. They're just, especially old people. You know, they'll just tell you what they think. You know, they're snappy. Some of them are snappy. I called out a little old lady once. She was cute as a bug. Just a little old bitty wisp of a woman. And I was nice. I said, ma'am, have you lived here all your life? And she said, not yet. (laughs) I was thinking if she was a resident of that region. But, you know, she said, no, not yet. (laughs) Women are, there's something, man. Oh, man, these little old ladies, they're marvelous, aren't they? And I'll tell you what, most of them are tougher than any man I've ever met. I went to Russia. When the communist walls fell down, we go over there to Russia and fill up those uh, opera houses with five to 10,000 Russians. Some of them had never heard the name Jesus. Listen, Holy Ghost would show up like you couldn't imagine. I could move my hand like that and maybe a thousand Russians just fall on the Holy Ghost. Well, we was there once and was over there with a guy named Bob Weiner. And so anyway, we was in one of those big old opera houses and they're just beautiful for uh, preaching because the sounds are good and there's balconies and everywhere. And the whole balcony was full of these old Busca women, you know. Bob could kill their husbands of war too, you know. Then So they, they, they wore headscarves and they're built sort of like that all dad, you know. <laughs> Larry has an all dad out there to, at his ranch. It's just like, it's just, uh, you know, anyway. But a lot of those little Russian women, they kind of were like that. Just kind of. And there they are. There's just a whole balcony full of these little Bushka women. And Bob Weiner said to me, the Holy Ghost was moving. He said, don't forget the, the, the ladies up there. 
So I said to these ladies, would you like this anointing? And like a roar, yeah! I did like this, and it knocked them all down. And all you could see was big legs and boots sticking up. They were <laughs> kicking, like, kicking like chickens. But anyway, tough as a boot, those ladies. You know, That's what we got to do. Uh, we we got to start really loving one another and receiving one another and encouraging one another. Now, there's a difference between biblical encouragement and fleshly flattery. That won't go anywhere with God. But genuine biblical encouragement. How can we be encouraging to people? Look for something God is doing in their life and brag on them about it. Well, you, you believe you can overlook gifts that's been around your forever i pastored for 26 and a half years we had good gracious we had 62 committees we had one committee on committees to see if the committees were committed (laughs) that's the honest truth so anyway i would pick the heads of the committees and so well i'm in that process one time going through picking uh the people that's going to head up these me these committees and we had a little old lady in our church. She was an older lady. Miss Nisi was her name. And she constantly was on the phone talking to people. And I thought she was a gossiper. And I thought she was a talebearer. And she knew everything about everybody. And so I'm picking committees. And the Lord Jesus spoke to me and said, this words right here, Bobby! Don't you love the gifts I've put on Miss Nisi? You could have knocked me over with a feather. I said, gifts on Miss Nisi? What are you talking about? He said, everything you dislike about her is a gift I've put in her. It was like he took off blinders and I got to see Miss Nisi through his perspective. She called people and talked because she's interested in people. And I'd overlooked it all those years, thinking, well, she's just a gossip. She just wants to find out everybody's business. But she did it so she could pray for him. She did it so she could have connection with him. Guess what happened? The Lord said, put her head of the greeting committee. Good Lord. People started coming just because they knew they was going to get a hug from Miss Nisi. She's the smartest thing you've ever... A new couple pull up out in the parking lot. Guess who met them? Miss, Miss Nisi. There she is. She needs him out there. I don't believe we've met. We're so glad to have you. Where do you work? <laughs> well, I'm just down here. They moved me into Brookshire Brothers. And, well, is this your wife? Yes. And I, the daughter Julie, what grade is she in? Oh, mm-hmm. And listen, she's keeping a mental journal of it. She gets to the door. There's the greeters. She'll say, this is Edward. This is his wife and his daughter, Julie. He's newly in the community, and he's working at Brookshire's, you know. And so they'd fill out a little card, and I'd get to stand up there and go, well, we have Edward and his family with us today. He's moved in the community, and he's working over there in Brookshire's. But all the gifts on Miss Nisi that I thought was just, but she came and stayed in touch with people because she genuinely cared about them and loved them and wanted to find out how their life was going. So when I, I saw that, you, you couldn't believe how, how it helped. Every one of you have gifts. God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. He's given us every one gifts. And what we've got to do is we've got to learn we need them. None of us can do everything. If you go to my house in Bullard, Texas, you go in the washroom, you'll see a burn mark going up the side of the wall. 
I'll tell you why. My wife, I don't know why women do this, but one day she said, Bobby, my wife, she's tough. She is strong and tough. One time she got, uh, she got uh, all, the flu or whatever. She's back there in the bed, and I'm in the recliner watching football or truck racing or something. And I hear her back down the hall, Bobby, Bobby. So I go, yeah, okay. So I get out of the recliner, go down the hall, open the bedroom door. There she is. She's bundled up. We got her. And she said, boy, would you do something for me? I thought maybe get her a 7-Up or some water. Or I said, yeah, baby, what do you want? She said, I want you to. Now, that's, she said, I, here it is. Now, where do women get this? She said, well, I want you to do something for me. I said, I will, baby. What do you want? She said, would you clean off the top of the refrigerator? Good Lord, I didn't even know we had the top of the refrigerator. Where do women get that? I got up there, I found my golf tees, I found some stuff I hadn't seen, a knife or two. But isn't that something? Bless her heart. Yeah, she's, she's tough. And so we better not talk too much about her. She, she, I used to get my dressing anyway to the kids, grandkids, showed her how to start FaceTiming live, you know. And she would say, I can't believe you wore that with this, you know. Used to, she'd bread tie my stuff together. You know, so I, you know, would be sort of coordinated, but it, it doesn't matter. Anyway, we've got to love one another, don't you think? How do we do it? How do we love people that are unlovely? We can't do it, but we let God do it through us. But there's a verse in the book of Romans that says, If you have an enemy, pray for him. It'll be like heaping coals of fire upon his head. I used to mistranslate that thinking, God won't let me whip him, so he'll whip him for me. But that's not what it means at all. Back in those days, they couldn't, didn't have, the only way you transferred live fire was crock pots. Lead, uh, uh, clay pots, and you put the live coal on your head, and that means if you'll pray for them, they can't stand in that circumstance very long. They have to change. You understand that? Well, good. I don't know when we're supposed to quit whenever we get through. But let me talk to you a little bit about who are you wearing? Who do people see when they see you? I want us to be so filled with the love of God and the grace of God and the mercies of God. When people see us, they realize there's something different about them. I like that, don't you? I like that they can pick up on the fact there's something different. You ought to be able to walk into a room and the whole atmosphere of the room begins to change. That happened with Ruth and Naomi, if you study it. It's one of the most mind-boggling statements. It says when Ruth and Naomi came out of the land of Moab and stepped into the land of Bethlehem of Judea, it said the whole city was stirred. Good Lord. Just when they stepped into the city, the whole city said, do you feel that? Wow. They hadn't been off to a Bobby Connor conference. They'd been in Moab for years. It said they just went there to sojourn. Then they tarried. Wow. That's something. I don't know what they had, but whatever that is, I want it, don't you? Where you step into it and the whole atmosphere changes. You're a conduit for that, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. You say, no, Bobby, uh, I don't want to get too excited. Oh, get excited. We're living in the best time in human history to get the world saved. Honestly, I think the world globally, is in the biggest vacuum I've ever seen. People are looking for answers. And guess who's supposed to have them? Me and you. You know what God's offering us today? Isaiah 50, verse 4. Isaiah 50, verse 4 says, I will give you the tongue of a taught one 
And you'll know how to reply and respond to the people that ask you, how do we navigate these dark, dangerous days? Wow. Don't you want the tongue of a taught one? He'll do it. Here's what God told me. He said, tell the people, knowledge without wisdom is worthless. However, knowledge with wisdom is priceless. Today, you can get knowledge by Google. Yeah. But you can't get wisdom but from one source. James 1, 5 says we've got to ask for wisdom. If any of us are deficient in wisdom, let him ask God, the giving God, and he'll give it to us lavishly and won't berate us for asking. Aren't you glad wisdom is available? I'm glad, aren't you? Good. What a day. Here it is. I believe it's the most crucial time in human history. And look who God's let live. Us. I said to him, what are you thinking? He could have picked anybody. Have you read the book of Hebrews, the Hall of Faith? He could have picked any of those guys or gals. And he picked us to live in the end time. The end of the age. When all the seeds of good and evil are coming to fruition. And he let us live. So I said, what are you thinking? And he, he said, yes, I finally found me people weak enough to work in. Not weak in character, not weak in ethics, not weak in morality, but weak in our own ability. We've embraced John fifteen five. Without him, we can't do anything. But with him. Here's a great verse if you're reading it. I was reading Philippians, uh, uh, and it says this, Philippians 2.13. It says, it is God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It, it says, why, it is God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. When I read the little phrase, good pleasure, it melted my heart. Think about this just for a second. The creature, Bobby, you, can do something and bring Creator God good pleasure. Whatever that is, that's our number one goal. That's our highest quest, to live a life that will bring Father God good pleasure. So I started in the book of Genesis, and I went through the Bible looking for what the creature could do to bring Creator good pleasure. And I got all the way over to Luke 12, 32. Read part of the Bible, Jesus talking. Luke twelve thirty two says, Oh, shuddering, shivering, fearful little flock, do not be so timid. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Nothing thrills God more than finding a people He can give the kingdom to. That's what He's looking for. In Second Chronicles sixteen nine, said, The eyes of the Lord roving to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for people whose heart is upright, so He can show Himself strong on their behalf. Wow. I want him to say, I found me some people that are ready to, for kingdom authority. You've studied the Bible. 1 Corinthians 2, 6, Paul said, I would not, I could not release this hidden wisdom until I found me a people mature enough to be, to be ripe in understanding. Then I'll release this hidden wisdom that will catch us up into the presence of God and the presence of His glory. Next big move of God is going to be about the the presence of God. In the presence of God, there's something a lot more powerful than the power of God. What could be more powerful than the power of God? The authority of God. He's going to give us authority. He's already given it to us if we'll take it. Luke ten nineteen. Behold. That's a good word. Behold. Y'all remember the old E.F. Hutton commercials? When they, and everybody just stopped to hear what they're going to That's the word behold. Drop everything. Firmly focus on what's being said. Behold, Luke 10, 19. Behold, firmly focus on this. I give you 
authority to stop the devil's ability. That's what he literally says. I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy. He uses two different words for power. One is authority and one is ability. So you and I have been given authority to stop the devil's ability. It's high time to start using it. We better use it on North Korea. North Korea wants to start a world war that would be devastating and end the population of the earth like we know it. You and I have power. That verse tells us we have power to stop the works of the devil. John 10.10 tells us what the works of the devil is. He comes to steal, kill, decimate, and to destroy. You and I have power to stop that. What's going to stun us is to realize God's going to hold us responsible for what happens. You say, I don't know where that's at. Well, it's Psalms 115, verse 16. Psalms 115, verse 16 says, The heavens of heavens, that belongs to God, but this earth is your responsibility. Wow. We better step up and take charge, hadn't we? He said, well, you know, it's up to us. He's going to hold us accountable. I, really, what time y'all usually get out? Well, I, I got time. No. I'm telling you guys, we're supposed to take authority over all this stuff that's happening. I used to fly into Bellingham, Washington, and they'd pick me up and drive me through the Canadian border. It was so easy then. You could just go through. So... I fly up there once, and the pastor, Tom Hellpenny, picks me up, and we had done it time after time after time. We pull up to the security or whatever that is, border patrol, going into Canada, and there's an agent in the booth, and most of the time they, I just, they just flag me on through. Here's what the agent says. Here's what he said. We've got... Snow up to the high lines. We're expecting flood or avalanche. What are you going to do about it? Talking to me. I go, uh, I, I said, I'm going to handle it. He said, see that you do it. And I thought, this must be one of Tom's uh, men, and they're just spoofing me. I looked at Tom. He's whiter than this sheet right here. The pastor, shaking like a leaf. So I realized Tom don't know spit about this. This guy says, pull over and bring him in. So we pulled over, I got my passport, and I walked in, and what that was, it was not a border guard, it was an angel. And uh, he said, there's snow as high as the high lines, they're expecting flood or avalanche, I want you to take care of it. I said, I will. And guess what happened? The jet stream changed and brought in a, a warm rain and dissipated all, listen, they were in a flood, but they didn't have an avalanche, but that, you know. Isn't that something? Do you believe you have power to control the elements? I'll give you one other wild story if you want to hear it. We flew out of Albany, Oregon, down to uh, Oklahoma City. And uh, a a pastor was with me from Oregon, Denny Klein. And anyway, when we get on the plane, the pilot comes on on the thing and says, Well, you've chosen a delightful day to fly. Absolutely no storms in the region. I thought, boy, that's good. So we take off, we fly down to uh, Oklahoma, and we go down to the luggage thing, and uh, we're about to get our uh, luggage and go straight to the uh, church that we're going to do a meeting at that night. And when that little light goes on, you know, when it went, the Lord said, spinning winds. That's terminology between me and him for tornado. So I turned, and anyway, when the pilot landed the plane, he came on the thing while we're going to the, the gate. He goes, well, I hit that on the head, didn't I? Absolutely no storms in the region. Anyway... Light comes on. God says, uh, 
spinning winds. I say to Denny, it's going to be a miracle if we get out of this town without a tornado. And a lady was standing. She said, didn't you hear the pilot? No storms. I said, it's going to be a miracle if we get out of here without a tornado. We go to this church, a big vineyard church there in Oklahoma. So I'm supposed to be speaking there, singing. I'm over there in a little cubby hole trying to prepare. And uh, the Lord said this to me, Bobby, I'm going to send a tornado and blow this building away and hurt a whole bunch of people and hold you responsible if you don't get up and rebuke the winds. I mean, that's not the way you start your message. <laughs> About that time, one of the pastor's associates ran up and had a live Doppler on a phone, and he's, he said, Pastor, we've got to evacuate this building. There's tornadoes coming, and it's coming. And the Lord said, do what I told you now. This is not how you study the Bible. This is not the proper proper plan plan for studying Bible. I'm over in the little catacomb. And so, if you don't get up and rebuke this storm, I open my Bible just like that, looking straight forward. I said, okay, God, I'm going to need a verse for this. And I stuck my finger down like that. So help me, God. I looked under there. It was Ezekiel 37. Son of man, get up and prophesy to the winds. You can't get any clearer than that. So I get up, and now Patricia King, you ever heard of Patricia King, extreme uh, prophetic? Uh, She's got all of the timelines of this and got a video presentation of it for a television program. We get up and in front of the church and rebuke this tornado. It's coming down right over the church. When the prayer goes up, the tornado stops in midair, reverses its rotation like this, goes back up and goes in there. And the world weather said it's happened only twice before in their history. And so Patricia King has it. She has a timeline of when the prayer went up, when the tornado, and they gave her the footage of the tornado going back up. I'm telling you, the earth is our responsibility. You say, well, how do we do it? Just start believing God for it. Uh, I've seen it a lot of times. Your prayers can alter circumstances, can't it? Yep. Okay. I love, I love how uh, God has people that have just common sense. First church I pastored, we had a, a Uncle Walter. He's in heaven now, but he's one-eyed, and he was smart as a whip. And back then I was preaching hard, real hard. And so Uncle Walter, he invited me over to his house to eat. And here's what Uncle Walter gave me a little story. He said, you know, there was this old farmer, and he had a mule. It had old long winter hair on him. Said that guy wore himself into a frazzle, tried to curve that old mule down where he'd be shiny. Said just wore himself out every, every time. And then he said, finally he found if you just fed it real good, the dead hair would fall, fall off. You hear the message he's saying to me? He said, just quit, just quit trying so hard and just feed the flock. Feed them the Word of God, and everything will trim out. Isn't that good? That was Uncle Walter's wisdom. But Uncle Walter had a tomato crop one time down in the bottom land there. And uh, the neighbor had one down. The only thing separating him was a fence. And they was calling for a hailstorm, you know, and that's bad on tomatoes. And Uncle Walter comes out there, and he's praying away the hailstorm. And his neighbor said, what are you doing? He said, I'm rebuking this hailstorm so it won't hurt my tomato crop. And the guy laughed at him and mocked him. And guess what happened? The hell stopped at Uncle Walter's place and went over there and tore this guy's thing down, beat the things to stems. And Uncle Walter's tomatoes were just up there going, ah, what a day. You, know. you better try it. It works. Yeah, that don't work for me. You were not trying it. Well, I didn't think it would. That's the problem. He that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. 
If you don't believe he's there to answer, they lock people up for talking to people you can't see. Do you understand that? You need to believe he is there and he's going to reward you. Here's a great verse about him rewarding you. It, it, it says, 1 John five fourteen. this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask him anything according to his word, we know that he hears us. If we know that he hears us, we're totally confident we're going to get what we're asking. Wow. Jesus said it this way, whatever, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, they're yours. Wow. Good. That's something. You believe God's got big plans for you? This kid right here. How old are you? 21. That's about, I guess, maybe six years older than Daniel was. You ought to study the man Daniel, not the book Daniel. You ought to study the man Daniel. said he made up his mind, I'm not wrecking myself with what's wrecking the culture around me. And he ended up and ran the whole show. Okay? So I'd think about that if I was you. Well, what do you think? You think God is going to light your pathway? I'll tell you, he is. I see you trying to put a puzzle together, and about every time you think it's together, it goes boom. You said, I'm so sick of this. But God's going to put all the pieces together for you. You can't do it, but he can. Aren't you glad he knows all the missing parts? Yeah. If we'll just ask him to do it, or you wire yourself out trying. Yeah. Yeah. One of the best things we can do is just get still and let him do it. Because his plans are better than ours, don't you believe? Yeah. Look there. You know what you ought to do? You. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm going to tell you? You should doodle more. You should take a pen and just draw stuff. Okay? You'll draw what comes into your heart, and it, it'll be a wonderful way for God to speak to you. Okay? Good gracious, yes. Can you believe it? I know some people in fashion, and the Lord said, I want you to give this woman a fashion tip. Now, you can look at a guy like me and tell I'm a fashion. Listen, I said, God, I don't know nothing about fashion. And he said, that's why she'll believe you. And she knew I didn't know nothing about fashion. I said, okay, I want you to tell me what I'm supposed to tell her. And here's what it is. He said, I want you to, go over, I want you to tell her that she needs to do denim and lace, but do it in an elegant way. And I said, like, take a denim, and ja- denim, and ja- denim jacket and cut the sleeve out and put a crochet, that, you know, lace there. She said, okay, I'll do that. So she started doing that, and it's crazy in London. These people are going nuts over denim and lace, you know, like lace down there. And it's, isn't that crazy? But see, <laughs> here I am, I'm preaching one day, just preaching up a storm, and I stopped and I said, yes. God is going to bless robotic brain surgery. It'll be more meticulous than a man's hand. Then I started back preaching. Now, you know a guy like me would know a lot about robotic brain surgery. God TV picked that up and they're playing it on their channel. Some guy from Asia had invested one, two, three billion dollars in a company, robotic brain surgery. His logo is this. It will be more meticulous than a man's hand. So I get a call after that thing aired. I get a call, and it's this guy. He said, I'm sending a jet plane over, and I want to have a consultation with you. Da, 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 da. And I said, what are we going to talk about? And he said, robotic brain surgery. I thought, oh, Lord. I said, I'd, and see, anyway, here he comes, brings his people over there, and comes in with a, a, a bag with some money. I said, what is this for? And he said, consultation fee. I said, if you heard the message, you know everything I know about robotic brain surgery. 
But here's his logo. It's just like that. Uh, he brought a stack of schematics and all this kind of stuff and all kind of stuff. How would you have liked to invest $3 billion? And then some redneck go, yeah, God's going to bless robotic brain surgery. It'll be more meticulous than a man's hand. Pretty encouraging, isn't it? And so, isn't that something? And it's going okay. Huh? Isn't that something? See, that's in the Bible. Trust the Lord, you'll be established. Believe His prophets and you'll prosper. A guy walked up to me once and had a baggie full of dirt. A guy walked up to me with a baggie full of dirt and said, The Lord said, if I'd bring this to you, you could analyze it. I said, God. He said, take the dirt. I said, okay, give me that dirt. I picked up that bag of dirt. My mind went, what? I started quoting uh, analyst things. Anyway, the bag of dirt came off the coastline of Cambodia, and it had the highest silicon content. They started shipping shiploads of it to uh, California, to the, the uh, Silicon Valley, because it had the highest uh, content of silicone. Isn't, isn't that crazy? A guy got immensely wealthy over a bag of dirt. Isn't that crazy? So God knows stuff. And the Bible says he won't do nothing on this planet without first telling his prophets what he's going to do. Isn't that cool? Amos 3, 7. Absolutely, God will not do a single thing on the planet without first revealing what he's going to do to his servants, the prophets. You better buddy up and listen to the prophets. They can tell you secret things. One time I saw rams jumping high bars, and they'd pick the bar up higher. Gold was $312 an ounce when this was happening. And when the, the rams would jump the bar, their horns would get bigger and they'd be gold. I said, God, what in the world is that? He said, announce that gold is about to go to an all-time high. When I announced that, it was $312 an ounce. It got up to what? A little less than $2,500 an ounce, something like that. See, believe his prophets and you'll what? Prosper. And I don't Well, it's better than just uh, getting one of these financial planners. I read the Bible, it says God named himself El Shaddai, the God that's more than you'll ever have need of. God does for you what you can't do for yourself. So anybody in here need help? He's a very present help in the time of trouble. My favorite verse in the whole Bible is Nahum 1-7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those that are trusting him. I am so thankful it didn't say, God was good, or God is going to be good. God is good. Right in your segment of time, right in your circumstance, He's good. And He's a very present help. You know what He is? He's one breath away. I don't know why we use Him as the last resort when He should be the first resource. But we're bent that way. Let's ask for His help. You want to? Would you just extend your hands? Lord, you said if we believe in you, all things are possible. Lord, we realize we can't do a single thing without you. But through you, by you, in you, with you, we're unstoppable. We can't be defeated because you are the victorious one. We want to move from being a victim to victor. We want to thank you that we're coming through the valley. We're coming into a wide place. We're coming to a place of your provision. Bless your people. I pray that you would encourage them. That they would realize all that they have is not in vain. All that they're doing is worthwhile. Help them to see the reward. 
Help them to receive that what you put in their hands to do, they're going to be faithful. And one day it'll all be fixed up in such a way we'll glorify you for everything that's said and done. You're a good, good God. You do not make any mistakes. We want to cling to the verse, all things work together for good to those that are called according to his purpose. So, Lord, you can take a tragedy and turn it into a triumph. You can take an adversity and turn it into an advantage. So we thank you for this now. Bless your people. I pray that you would give new courage to believe you for anything, for runaway kids, for bank accounts that's empty. God, we trust you to fix everything that's broken. In Jesus' name. One of the greatest verses in the Bible is Joel 2.25. I will restore, declares the Lord. I will restore. Joel 2.25, he said, I'll restore everything the canker worm has consumed, everything the flying locust has devoured. If God is anything at all, he's a God of restoration. The Bible says the heavens must contain Christ until the restoration of all things spoken by the mouths of the prophets. God's going to fix everything that's broken. I like that, don't you? Well, let's get out of here. I'll meet some people at the book table if they need to. Should you need to call out a coyote? Yeah, that, that is a, a coyote call. They may be some at the door. The children are going, no, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. I, oh, yeah. Oh, my wife said, oh, Bobby, when are you getting rid of this? Uh, well, today's probably my last day, but this is my, you know, the people wear a face mask when they go goose hunting, so I just grew me one, you know, but, you know, it's okay. Stretch your hands out toward Bobby. Father, we thank yes, you Lord. for the voice that you've given Bobby into the body of Christ. And Lord, we ask that you multiply it, yes. that you establish it. And Father, we pray that every word that goes forth from his mouth will prosper. Thank you, And it Jesus. will accomplish that for which you send it. And we speak it over his life, but we speak it over our lives. Yes, Jesus. And we honor you and we bless you. Now, fill him up and overflow him yes. with fresh love and life. In yes. Jesus' name. Amen yes. and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.